My name is Lloyd Reed. I pastor Harvest Baptist Temple in Medford, Oregon. And um, the topic today is generational perspective, what older and younger generations can learn from each other. When Brother Larry Chappell called me and asked um, if I'd be willing to do a breakout session, I said, sure. Oh, what you have in mind? He said, well, I'll get back to you. And he, he, he called me again and gave me about five or six options. And I said, um, why don't you just let all the other guys pick and I'll take what's left over. And this is what was left over. Don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't pick. When you have an opportunity to pick, pick. Because the, really the, str the struggle was real when I was uh, studying this a generational perspective, what older and younger generations can learn from each other. And just to be quite candid with you, one of the reasons why the struggle was real is because in Scripture, you don't really see the older learning a whole lot from the younger. It almost always goes the other direction. Um, but there are a couple of instances and there are a couple of places where we can certainly make application. And so take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3. And when you get to Titus 3, look at chapter 2, because that's what I meant to say. And in Titus 2, I just want to point out kind of a biblical precedent uh, that is set. We begin reading in, in verse number 1, follow along as I read. It says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Listen to this, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now listen to this, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine. And we're told, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul wrote an inspiration of the, to, of the Holy Spirit to young Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And so we do understand that there is a contribution that the younger generation can even make to the older, older generation. But by and large, the precedent that's set in Scripture is that the older teach the younger, the older teach the younger, the older teach the younger. But notice the pattern here in, second, or in, sorry, in Titus 2, verse 2, that the aged men be, that they be, that the aged woman, verse 3, that they be, why? Verse 4, that they may teach, that they may teach. And this is the definite pattern. You see the platform of teaching or mentoring is built on the foundation of faithful being. You, get, you must first be before you can teach. So let's have a word of prayer. I want to kind of outline where we're going to go this afternoon, and uh, we'll move forward. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have. Lord, open up your word once again. Lord, our, our, our hearts are overflowing with the abundance of scriptural truth that has been really just pounded away at us, and Lord, we're so thankful for that. But Lord, if we could get another nugget or two from this session, we'd, we'd be quick to give you the honor and the praise for it. And we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So my, my goal is to try to not take a whole lot of time. I, I really want to be done by about quarter after because we have the wonderful privilege of having a panel where you can ask questions. And I'll be on the panel, and Dr. Sisk, uh, Lord willing, will be on the panel. And uh, then Brother Perry Dalzell. Uh, will also be on the panel. And as I think about <clears throat> older and younger generations learning from each other, um, Dr. Sis preached this morning with a tie on, and he's twice my age. Um, Brother Dalzell is younger than me, and he doesn't have a tie on. So I'm going to split the difference and just loosen <laughs> my tie. I'll keep it on, learning from the older generation. And then I will loosen it, learning from someone younger than myself as well. 
So um, we'll look forward to that. And if you have any questions along the way, please uh, feel free to jot them down in your notes there. And uh, we'll do the best that we can. We won't answer all of them, but uh, you can read Scripture and try to figure it out like we do as well. I want you to notice, first of all, as we think about um, what, what younger and older generations can contribute to each other and what we can learn from each other, I want you to notice, first of all, what, what the spirit that is necessary, a necessary spirit, a necessary spirit. And before we uh, really jump into the text, that, that my, second, my second point is really we're going to jump into the text of Scripture, but I just want to give you some practical thoughts of what's necessary. First, what's not necessary? Um, now, I don't know if you have room in your outline there, but let me just tell you a few things that aren't necessary when you're trying to learn from an older generation or even a younger generation what's not necessary. Personal agendas are, aren't necessary, especially in the realm of ministry. Personal agendas are not necessary when you're trying to learn. Um, pride is not necessary. You can't have it when you're trying to learn. Pride is not necessary. In fact, it's interesting in Scripture, it's the sin that God, uh, that if you can approach God with any sin as long as you're coming for forgiveness, but if you approach Him with pride, His posture is get away from me. God resisteth the proud. And so pride is not necessary. Here's a big one. And just so that you know my context, um, I transitioned into the senior pastor at Harvest Baptist Temple a little over four years ago now. And I followed uh, Dr. Bob Gass, who founded the, past, uh, the church in 1977 and pastored it for 41 years. And he was the only pastor they ever had. There were two things that I told the Lord I didn't want to do. I didn't want to follow a long-tenured pastor, and I didn't want to follow a founding pastor. And he always takes that as a challenge because I'm doing both. But one of the things, especially in my context as I think about it, that is not necessary when you're trying to learn from older generations and even younger generations is insecurity. You have to be careful about that. The necessary spirit, what's not necessary, personal agendas, pride, insecurity. Here's a big one, especially in our culture, entitlement. It's not necessary. Um, when you're trying to learn from uh, different generations, entitlement is not necessary. Man, don't we live in an entitlement culture, society? Uh, people just think that they expect. My mom told me something recently that really... Man, it just, it just pierced me. She said that um, my mom is a naturalized citizen. She was born on the island of Saipan, and she went through the right process and became a citizen of the United States. First, first generation, my mom. And she told me that if you're a naturalized citizen, you have nothing but gratitude for America. If you're a minority and you were born in America, you're the, they're the ones that are entitled. They're the ones. But the ones that, the ones that came to this country and the ones that went through the process, they're nothing but grateful. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think I can see some parallels even between that and, and, and uh, you know, independent Baptists through the years. Sometimes if we're not careful, those of us that gripe about it the most are the ones that come up in it. Um, it's not the ones that are saved out of the lifestyle of horrible sin. I mean, they come into it and, man, they're grateful. They're nothing but grateful. It's, it's really us brats that were brought up in it. Um, that to have the issues with it. It's just an interesting, interesting thought. I saw, a I, saw, I saw a parallel, though, but entitlement. Here's another one. What's not necessary? Ultimatums. <clears throat> and one thing that I will never say to Dr. Bob Gass is you should do this or else. It's just not necessary. When you're trying to learn from, from the older generation and even, even contribute as a younger generation, not necessary. Ultimatums. And then assumptions. How much trouble could we avoid if we just didn't assume what somebody else was trying to accomplish or what somebody else meant about something? 
Now, those are some things that we need to avoid. It's a necessary spirit. <laughs> Here's what's not necessary, all those things that I just listed. And that's not an exhaustive list. I'm sure you can add several things to it, but just some things that I wrote down. So what is necessary then? What is necessary? Uh, the first thing I wrote down is this, a spirit of humility. Um, one of the things that I've learned from Dr. Bob Gass, pastored that church for 41 years. By the way, he's a model church member. We have a unique transition. He never left. Didn't even go on the road for six weeks or anything like that. He stayed right there at Harvest Baptist Temple. He teaches a Sunday school class. He's preaching for me tonight while I'm gone. Uh, and it's just been wonderful. Nobody left the church. It was seamless. Well, some people left after the fact, and I made him mad, I guess. I'm not sure. No, but in the, in the transition, um, and it, it was just, it, was, it really was seamless, and we're so thankful for that. But one of the things that I've really learned from him is just a spirit of humility, a spirit of humility. Um, he will routinely open up our service in prayer um, on Sunday morning, and he's quick to, to say, I can't wait to learn from my pastor today what the Lord has given him. Um, and that's just a spirit of humility. It, it really, it's quite sobering to me to sit out and listen to him say that. And, and, and for years, I, you know, I said, that's my pastor, my pastor. And I'll tell you this, he still is my pastor. On a personal level, he still is. Um, but to, he, he just has that spirit of humility. And, and if, if, if we're going to make it work, the cross-generation, learning from older, learning from younger, a spirit of humility is necessary. But a spirit of humility, also I wrote this down, a spirit of grace. A spirit of grace. Oh, man, I, I, loved, I, loved, uh, I loved that message, Dr. Sis, the amazing grace of God. It was just incredible this morning. And we need to have, uh, we need to have that same spirit with each other. Um, and I'll get to this in a little bit, but there is, a, there is a spirit of grace that is lacking for my generation and younger to a generation that plowed the way before us that, yeah, maybe pastored us and parroted us imperfectly, but we're not willing to be gracious. And that's just, that's just not right. Um, and sometimes we see it the other way, where there's not a spirit of grace from, some of, the, from some, of the, some of the older people to younger people. And a spirit of grace is absolutely necessary. And then I put this one down, spirit of humility, spirit of grace. And the third thing I wrote down, what is necessary, a spirit of forgiveness. I promised Pastor Bob this. I was like, I, I, I can't be you, but I'll be the best me that's possible. I just ask you to help me get past them. Forgive me for the mistakes that I make. Uh, probably there are two times that I felt super inadequate in, in ministry. I always feel inadequate, but the most inadequate I've ever felt was when Pastor Bob Gass handed me the staff that represented the authority in that local church up there at Harvest Baptist. My very first words as a senior pastor at Harvest Baptist Temple in, Mer in Medford, Oregon, were this, as I stood behind the pulpit, holding the staff, Pastor Bob just walked off the platform and left me there by myself. And I looked at the congregation and I said, now what? Um, <laughs> instilling confidence in them. <laughs> uh, the next time I felt very just... Uh, super inadequate is when I stood behind the elements of the Lord's table and, uh, and, uh, and ran the service. It's, that is, it's, it's sobering, it's humbling, and, and uh, I, I was like, I shouldn't be here. I should be out there dealing with my own personal faults and failures. Um, and so I, I, Pastor Bob knew right away I'm going to have to have a spirit of forgiveness to, to be with this guy. And you know what? Truth of the matter is, us younger people, we need to, and I, I probably shouldn't include myself. I'm 45, uh, more middle-aged now. I can't, I can't really include myself in younger, but, but uh, we need to have a spirit of forgiveness, e even, even for men and women that, that uh, plowed before us and laid down the, man, sowed the seed and laid down the groundwork and 
Um, nobody's perfect, and we shouldn't expect it. And when we, when we hold bitterness in our heart because somebody couldn't provide an answer for us that we had a question to, well, there's something wrong with that. Um, we need to make sure we have that spirit of humility, spirit of grace, and spirit of forgiveness. So those are just some, necess- some necessary spirit that I wanted to uh, go over with you. And this is where we're going to get into the scripture. Necessary thoughts. Necessary thoughts. I wanted to break up really um, what really can be taught, what we can do, into, into three groups. Here's the, here's the first thought. What can be taught? Is there a contribution that younger people can make to older people and older people can make to younger people? Well, I certainly hope, we all know that there's a definite contribution that older people can make to younger generations, but is there a contribution that younger generations can make to older generations? I certainly hope so, otherwise I wouldn't be pastoring. Brother Dalzell, you wouldn't be pastoring. 38 years old, you wouldn't be pastoring. If there wasn't a contribution that the younger generation can make to the older generation, then every pastor in America should be about 80. And so there has to be a contribution. What's that contribution? The contribution starts here. What can be taught? Timeless truths. Timeless truths. That is the contribution that the younger generation can make to all generations, not just the older generation, but all generations. But I put this down uh, underneath mine. I've got a number one. Well, from the older generation, Titus 2, 2, the age of men be sober, grave, temperate, and listen to this next one. Sound in faith. Sound in faith. That speaks directly to the doctrine that Titus and even Timothy, we'll see in a moment, learned from when they were little, from when they were younger. And so when we're sound in faith, when we're solid in doctrine, and when, it's, when our teaching and preaching is based on the Word of God, then we can make a definite contribution to all generations and even the older generation. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm 45 years old. Half the men in my church are older than me. Half of them are younger than me. It would be a, it would be a tragedy for the older men in my church to say he's younger than me. I can't learn anything from him. But I'm not going to appeal to them from my life experience. I need to appeal them to them from timeless truths, the Word of God. Right, and so Titus 2.2 says we've got to be sound in faith, the age men. This is the, this is the contribution that even older generation can make the younger generation sound in faith. This is what can be taught, timeless truths. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 10, if we just turn back a couple pages, you'll see it says, but thou hast fully known. Listen to what the emphasis is as the Apostle Paul pens under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Timothy, his swan song. He says, thou hast fully known. Listen to this. My doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. These are all timeless things. Timeless truths. What the older can, can, can teach the younger. Well, what about what, can we flip that? Can the younger teach the older? Timeless truths. Absolutely. As long as our foundation is the Word of God. Titus 2. We'll go back to Titus 2. Look at verse 6. Young men, likewise, 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 like, like who? Well, like the older guys. That are, like I was just telling you about the age men. They showed a pattern of being, and now they're teaching. Well, likewise, you guys need to exhort to be sober-minded in all things. Listen to this. Showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. And so we have a responsibility to the timeless truths as a younger generation If we expect the older generation to learn from us, it has to be bound in God's word. The timeless truths, the doctrine, sound and faith doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.12, I think it's interesting. This is a verse that is often quoted, has been quoted to me by some peers. Um, And and sometimes, unfortunately, it's been quoted in such a way that uh, 
Uh, it's been almost a little cantankerous toward an older generation where we say, man, why don't they ever listen? I mean, I'm not supposed to despise my youth. Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote that to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let no man despise my youth, 1 Timothy 4.12. Uh, the problem that I have with the context that they're laying that down on is the, ne- the rest of the verse, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit. Listen to this, in faith, in purity, the, the, the contribution that we can make as a younger generation, even to the older generation, are the timeless truths. What can be taught? Uh, I came across a verse while I was studying for this in Psalm 119. You know, I've read Psalm 119 Dozens and dozens of times, but, but in ver- verse 99 and 100 really stuck out to me as I was studying for this. Psalm 119, 99 and 100. Listen to this. I have more understanding than all my teachers. What an arrogant thing to say. Look at verse 100. Or verse 100. I understand more than the ancients. Wow. You know, if I stood up and I just made those statements... That, that is arrogance. That's, remember, that's a spirit that's not needed, pride. But you've got to qualify it with the rest of the verse. I have more, under, more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For thy testimonies are my meditation. That's the key, the timeless truths. I, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. That's the foundation. It's the timeless truths. What can be taught? Now, it's interesting. I was trying to think, how how can I qualify percentage-wise the contribution that the older generation can make to the younger generation and the younger generation can make to the older generation regarding what can be taught or the timeless truths? And this is what I came up with. The Word of God is key. It's the key. If you are teaching precepts, principles, or promises from God's Word, then the contribution can go either way 100%. I can teach the older generation timeless truths 100% of the time, and they should be willing to listen in humility 100% of the times as long as I'm teaching the timeless truths of God's Word. That's what can be taught. The same is true the other direction. 100% of the time I should be listening to the older generation and learning from them when they're teaching the timeless truths of God's Word. What can be taught? That's what can be taught. So we look at what can be taught. Let me show you another one. What should be caught? There's a second one. What should be caught? If what can be, if, if what can be taught is timeless truths, what should, be taught, uh, what should be caught is timeless living, timeless living, or a life of faithfulness. All right, so since we broke down what, what can be taught in uh, what, we, what can be taught by the older generation and then what can be taught by the younger generation, let's do that same pattern. From the older generation, let's go back to Titus 2, what can be or what should be caught. Titus 2, this is living a life of just faithful, godly living. What can be caught? From the older generation, Titus 2, look at verse 2, that the age may be sober. Man, a life of soberness should be caught. Grave, a life of gravity or, or knowing when to be serious, and knowing when to put away the jokes, that can be caught. The example that I see in, 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 in my father and my father-in-law, the example that I see in, in men like uh, Brother Sisk, and the example that I see in uh, uh, Dr. Bob Gass and Dr. Mike Gass who are at our church, or, or uh, Brother Stan Smith that uh, really took a chance on a, on a young man coming out of college and hired me with my, my first position at a church. Uh, those, are, those are men that I can look to and see a pattern of faithfulness in their life, in sobriety, in gravity, in temperance. They're sound in charity, according to Titus 2.2. Sound in charity and 
in patience. In patience. Now, some might argue that, oh, some of, the, some of that old guard, man, they're not as patient as you're suggesting that they are. Man, aren't you thankful, though? Patience is patience. And if we can learn an example of patience by watching them or learn an example of, hey, I don't want to be that way if they're being impatient, we can still learn, right? We ought to learn, though. We ought to learn from the older generation, that life of faithfulness from the older generation, timeless living. Um, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 10 and 11, it gives a few more things that we can learn. With just, I'm talking about timeless living now, which should be caught. Verse 10, 2 Timothy 3, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, listen, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. There's that patience again. Charity, patience, perse- persecutions and afflictions. Those are huge. Well, you know, we, we, ought to, we ought to look to a life of faithfulness of of men like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to draw any attention or embarrassment, but Dr. Sisk, you know, Pastor Chapel, de- he, he dedicated the book, The Resilient Life, to Dr. Sisk. Um, don't you think that maybe he could tell us about some persecutions and afflictions that he's gone through and that we can learn from that I've not had to endure as a pastor? Now, I'm not saying that we're free from that. I remember when, when COVID was starting to, when we were starting to hear whispers of COVID in early 2020, I called, uh, I, called, I called Pastor Bob Gass, and I said, hey, this seems to be what's coming down the pike. And I explained him what was going on and the, the potential things that could, that could happen. And I said, what do you think? And he said, well, what do I think? I think I'm glad I'm not the pastor anymore. <laughs> That's what he said. And thank you for all that profound wisdom there. He said, I think I'm... So, so is there even a way that um, younger generations can influence and impact and maybe even help older generations with that? Well, well yeah, there is. And we even see that in Scripture, uh, Titus t- chapter 2. Again, if we go back there, we're, we're, we're kind of going back and forth between the pastoral epistles here. But, but you can see some things from the younger generation. We saw from the older generation, yeah, especially I think about persecutions and afflictions. But even from the younger generation... Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So just like we see the example of older men living in sobriety, young men also, we need to do that, and then we're to be an example and, 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 and have that, uh, that pattern of faithfulness in the way that we live. Look at this. It even uses the word pattern in verse 7, and all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. A pattern of good works. Um, it, it goes on to say in verse 7, in doctrine showing us uncorruptness, but then gravity and, and sincerity and sound speech that cannot be con- uh, condemned. All these ways that we should live so that uh, we can be an example to the people around us. Uh, I'm not a fan of everything that he writes, but John Maxwell wrote a book called The 360-Degree Leader uh, that, that basically was um, saying that no matter what your position is in the company, you can't show... Um, leadership all the way around you, all the way around you, peers, even superiors, even people below you, subordinates, you should be able to show, you should live your life and work your job in such a way that everybody sees leadership in you. Um, Man, the same should be true of us um, that are in ministry. Uh, We should live our life in such a way that the older generation can see it and be encouraged and even see an example and the older generation should live in such a way that the younger people be challenged and see an example. Um, and I'm so thankful for men in my life that have done exactly that. The younger generation, again, in First Timothy chapter 4, 12, the verse that is used so often, let no man despise thy youth, but be thy example in word, conversation, charities in their spirit, purity. 
Here's what I'm saying. Faithful lifestyle in concordance to the Word of God. Again, Word of God key. What, what can be taught? Timeless truths, Word of God. What should be caught? Timeless living within the boundaries of the Word of God. Within the boundaries of the, the Word of God. If you're living biblically, then the contribution, I would say this, um, <clears throat> and I, I think it bears, uh, even in Scripture, as you just see, the, um, uh, just as you follow Scripture and you track it, uh, men and uh, older men and younger men, the way that they influence each other, I think you would be able to track this. But if you're living biblically, then the contribution should, should favor the older generation. You say, what do you mean by that? They contribute more to godly living than we do as a younger generation with what we can learn from each other. Why? Because they've lived longer. Their faithfulness exceeds ours as far as years go. And so we should be willing as a younger generation to take that into account and be willing to sit down and listen and learn from them more so than we expect them to learn from us. It's, that's why it's a little bit different between what, should, what can be taught, because that's 100% both ways, but what should be caught. Uh, we should catch more from them than they catch from us. Why? Because they've lived longer. Their faithfulness has endured more. And so what should be caught? Timeless living, a life of faithfulness. Let me give you the third one. What has been bought? What has been bought? And this is timeless ministry. Timeless ministry. When I became the pastor at Harvest Baptist Temple, I had the wonderful privilege of taking a church that, that's on about 12 acres of property, beautiful facilities. A lot of people say that we're like a park. We look like a park. Auditorium built, education a building built, um, office, church office building built. Built. If I embrace the spirit of humility that I suggested was absolutely necessary for us as we learn from each other, if I embrace that spirit of humility, there is no part of me, no part of me that wants to spit on the heritage of what God used Dr. Bob Gass and Dr. Mike Gass and their families to build. There's no part of me. No part of me. That's what's been bought. That's what's been bought, timeless ministry, years of faithful service, years of investment financially, years of wisdom and experience, years of seeing how things end up when they make certain decisions, right or wrong. That's what's been bought. And that's what a generation my age and younger really are inheriting. And if we're not careful and we don't embrace that spirit of grace and that spirit of humility, we may end up spitting on our heritage. I know that's not our intent, that's not our desire, but years of faithful, timeless ministry here is key. And I'll say this, the contribution would overwhelmingly favor a direction of older to younger as opposed to younger to older. Now, in our situation and in our context, Dr. Bob Gass, Dr. Mike Gass, they are, they're gracious and they're humble. And, um, <clears throat> and if they were standing here, they would say that They've learned a lot from me, even with regard to how to do ministry. And I don't believe that that's just tongue, tongue speak. I, I, I just, I, I really believe that they're, they're wired that way. Um, and it's, again, that's sobering for me, and I don't want to take advantage of that. Um, that's, 
You know what that does, though? That, that compels me even more uh, to keep the direction that they set for that reason. Just, my, you know, I pray, when I pray every day, I, this is one of my prayers, Lord, this has been wonderful. Help me not to mess it up. Just, Lord, I don't, help me not to mess it up. Keep me humble enough to keep learning, gracious enough to listen. Lord, help me not to mess it up. It should overwhelmingly favor the direction of older to younger as opposed to younger and older. They're the ones that bought. They're the ones that sacrificed. They're the ones that, well, they're the ones that labored. And it would be, it'd be wrong of us to, uh, to, to take that and, and dismiss those, those facts. I mean, who am I to come in and criticize how God used them? Now, are they perfect? No. Did they make mistakes? Yes. But that's okay. All, all of us do. By the way, you see this in the Bible. It's interesting that Elisha didn't want to diminish what Elijah did. He wanted a double portion of it. There's no diminishment. Elisha didn't come in and say, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do this. No, he said, I want to do the same, but I want a double portion of it. Um, and I think sometimes, and I'm, I'll just make a, you know, that, just that quick application to, to young pastors. Sometimes if we have that same desirous spirit of Elisha wanting a double portion of the men that came before us and sacrificed and paved the way and, and really plowed and, and, um, and pioneered in a manner that we don't understand. Um, we, 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 we send out teams to plant churches now. Man, men, when, when Pastor Bob Gass came out, the Lord, they were sent out of a church. They came out to Southern Oregon and they had nothing. They literally pioneered a work. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to get into the rights and wrongs of methodology with regard to that. But there's no way I'm not going to honor it. There's no way. And I don't want to diminish what they did. In fact, you know what? I want a double portion of it. I want a double portion of it. <clears throat> and that's just the necessary thoughts that I think are for, for us to learn from each other, look at some necessary spirits, necessary thoughts, and then I want to just give you one other thing, necessary reminder let me kind of go through this. As I think about necessary reminders, um, I think about the practical wonder. The practical wonder. Um, the results can be beautiful when generations interact and get to know each other uh, deeper than just a surface relationship. If we're talking about younger and older generations impacting each other and working together, man, there's a wonder in that when we do that. There's, just a, there's a wonder that, that really only, only God can, can help us to navigate. That's just, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. The results are beautiful when we interact with each other. There are three things that I wrote down in that wonder um, when I think about the necessary, just the reminders for us. Here's the first one. There's a natural discipleship that takes place. Um, it's really organic, too. As, as younger generations and older generations uh, continue to minister together, when I became a youth pastor, I was uh, in San Jose, California, I was a youth pastor. I, don't, I think I was 23. One of my youth leaders became one of my dearest friends, and he's probably 15 years older than me, 16 years older than me. We had nothing in common. We really didn't. We had nothing in common. But we did have the same goal for the youth ministry there. And that's really what drew us together. That's what drew us together. Um, I would count Bob Gass and Mike Gass as two of my closest friends. We're generations apart. We don't really have a whole lot in common. But it's the goal. It's the goal. It's the goal that it's, and what happens is, 
as we interact with each other, there's a natural discipleship that, that occurs really both ways, us learning from each other. I mean, Pastor Bob, he's retired, but he continues to disciple me. He continues to take me to school. And if he were here standing here next to me, he would say the same thing. He'd say, I appreciate my pastor. I appreciate how he disciples me and how he takes me to school. Um, when, when we interact biblically with each other, there's an organic discipleship that happens just from generations learning from each other. I also wrote this one, natural discipleship. I wrote this one down, a macro view of life. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can get stuck in, in our life stage. You know, um, my wife and I, we've been married 22 years. We have four kids, girl, girl, boy, girl. Morgan will be 17 in just a couple weeks, and Taylor's 13. Ethan is eight, and Ray is five. Um, I'm the 45-year-old with a five-year-old. It's wonderful. Keeps us young. When my wife told me she was pregnant with our, our fourth child, I looked at her and said, 58. And she said, what? I said, that's how old I'm going to be when this kid leaves the house. It's 58. Um, but uh, and my wife, we, were, we, we went to a, a ball game on Saturday, and we're walking through the gate, and, and she was asked if she was a student at a college. They didn't ask me that when I went through there. I'm like, are you a student? I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, uh, but uh, sometimes if we're not careful, the young family, we can lose the macro view of life and um, we can think, man, it's so hard to wrangle up the kids on Sunday morning. It's just, you know, it's, it's so difficult. People don't understand what I'm going through to try to get ready for church. And that pastor, he's always pounding that it's necessary for us to be at church and he just doesn't understand my situation and it's difficult to wrangle. Now, now, now think about that. We're stuck in our micro view of our life stage. But if that young family would look at, in our case, in our church, at a Doreen Hayes, who's in her late 70s, whose husband is really on hospice now, but for, but for five years almost now. And he, he's, he's paralyzed. He, he can't use his legs. But she gets him up. She dresses him. Puts him in her chair. Wheels him to the van gets him in the van, and never misses a service. Never. I wonder if maybe that young family can just get out of their micro view of life and, and look at a lady here in the twilight years of her life who's not complaining about wrangling her husband and how difficult it is to get him ready for church, but has him ready. When we allow generations to interact like that together, and I would encourage churches, pastors, have, have those church activities where everybody's doing stuff together. Sometimes we have Sunday school classes and we segregate it by life stages, and I understand that. But make sure you're getting them together, too, so that this macro view of life can happen. Um, it's a beautiful thing when it does. It's a practical wonder, really, is what it is, because there's organic discipleship that happens. There's, there's, that, there's that natural discipleship, but then there's also a macro view of life that that is, uh, that is emphasized, and, and, and we can see it, and it's just an encouragement. Man, if, he, if she can get him ready, then I, I can wrangle up my kids. It's a beautiful thing. And then I wrote this one down, just practical ministry. As well, I'll use Bob and Doreen Hayes again. We've got a group of young men. Um, <clears throat> I say young. It's a little relative. My age and younger, maybe. Well, a couple older than me, too. But we'll go over, and we'll help get him in bed and get him out of bed, and we do that routinely. And it, it's, a, it's like eight or ten of us, and we are on a rotation, and we just help, and we do that. That's practical ministry. That's, 
That's ministering to widows indeed. Um, that's absolutely necessary. But, but then I think about, you know, some of the, the ladies in our church that uh, have offered even, they've come to me and say, Pastor, if there are any young families that need to have a date night, let me know. I, I want to offer my services and I'll watch their kids while they do that. That's practical ministry that's, that's needed both ways. Both ways we can be a blessing to each other. Isn't that a wonder? Um, but sometimes we, we miss that, those opportunities because we're not allowing generations to interact with each other. Um, the younger has nothing to offer the older, or the older, man, they're past their prime, and they've got nothing to offer us as younger generation. No, that's not true. We need to have a generational perspective that allows younger and older generations to learn from each other. It's a practical wonder when it happens. But then I also wrote this one down under necessary reminders, a practical warning, a practical warning. First um, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, like we've read this verse a couple times, and it's a verse that people like to depart on, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And so as young men, young even pastors and preachers might say, hey, you know, I'm not supposed to let people despise my youth, and I'm going to be bold and all that stuff, and, and I understand that. And we go through and we read through the end of chapter 4, and, and you know, the chapter division's there, so oftentimes we'll stop and we won't, we won't get the greater context. But look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger sisters with all purity. Um, man, if we're not careful, we have a, we have a generation of, of, I'll say, I'll be very specific, of younger pastors that are, man, we've made it our life mission to rebuke older pastors. And, and that's something that, it's a warning that we need to be reminded of. Um, we're not supposed to do that according to Scripture. Again, are they perfect? No. But you're not either, and I'm not either. We're all still growing in grace. My fear is that there's a generation, recent generations, and I'll even go back to Gen Z, millennials, whatever comes after millennials. I call them the selfie generation. Um, but the generations, there's, there's recent generations, there's a Christianity in recent generations whose essence is to posture generosity and grace toward people who walk away from Jesus. They have little to no interest in Jesus or even toward people that haven't made significant investment in their lives. Listen to this part. While withholding that same spirit of generosity and grace from the people who imperfectly parented, pastored, and discipled them. We'll be generous and gracious to people that really have made no investment in our lives, and we'll listen to them. But the ones that invested everything into us, we don't have that same spirit of generosity and grace. Even though they did it imperfectly, we need to have that spirit of generosity and grace toward that generation. And it's a reminder, a warning. It's just a practical warning that we, that we need. Now, just real quick, a just a note of practical warning, really, for, and I'm just going to say younger pastors, maybe con candidating or considering taking a church. Maybe I'm speaking to youth pastors, some of these young men in, in college. Just as you think about this with regard to younger generation and older generations, uh, man, let me just encourage you, don't ever take a church if you lean a different direction doctrinally. Don't take a church if you lean a different direction. If a church has been dispensational in its history and you're, you're reformed, number one, Read your Bible and get that straightened out. Number two, don't take a church that's been dispensational and say, I'm going to take it the other direction. It's not right. 
Don't take a church if you lean a different direction doctrinally. Number two, don't take a church if you hold a different position practically. If you hold a different position practically, I'm going to talk about philosophy stuff now, you know, philosophy of music, philosophy of small groups or Sunday schools. If, 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 you, if you're thinking about taking a church and they're hung up on the word Sunday school, great. Don't rush in there and say, well, that's archaic. We're going to change the word to small groups now or connection groups. It's okay. Sunday school's okay. It's okay to call it that still. Okay. Um, it's a, I'm not against calling it connection groups either. That's fine. I'll do it. But just be careful about, you know, holding a different position practically and then going in and, 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 and disrupting things like that. Um, don't take a church with the intent of changing the preferential culture even. That shouldn't be your intent. Now, over process of time, that might happen a little bit. But you ought not take a church with the intent of saying, man, this, I walk in here and I feel like I'm in the 70s still. We're going to change this. Now, if you're talking about color of the carpet or whatever, I understand that. But, and don't take a church with intent, with the intent, that's a key word, of changing the preferential culture. And then I wrote this one down, just practical for young men. Don't, don't take a church if you don't absolutely love the historical context of the church. If you don't absolutely love the historical context of the church. I mean, if the church historically has a high liturgical sound with regard to their music, and that's not you, don't take the church. Go someplace else. There are plenty of places. There are a lot of churches that need pastors. All right, if it's been a country church traditionally, it's okay. You know, don't take it. If it's, if it's been, a, if it's been a, a church that's really emphasized the bus ministry, but you've never loved it, you ought not take the church if you don't love the historical context of it. You want to go and say, oh, we're going to cancel the bus ministry. No. Christian school, same thing. You don't want a Christian school, then don't take a church that has one. I know people don't like Christian schools. I love them. I love them. I think that they're needed. I need to stop. I want to stop. We've got about 10 minutes. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Sisk and Brother Dalzell if they would to just come on up here and, and, um, and we'll just take a seat. We'll put Dr. Sisk in the middle because we should learn the most from him. <laughs> um. And so I just want to open it up. Um, first of all, um, think of a question if you're running it down. Um, we'd uh, love to hear questions. We can't answer them. We'll point to Dr. Sisk. Um, but uh, just for before we, before we get uh, start on questions, just want to give these guys any opportunity to correct what I said or, um, or just add to what was said. I don't know, uh, Dr. Sisk, you have anything to add? No. Nothing. All right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Give me my note. Brother, Brother Dalzell, anything to The only thing I would add is what you said. You know, we talked on the phone briefly. Yeah. And what, you said something on the phone I thought was great. Um, and it was also a quote that I heard from Dr. Getch many years ago when I heard him preaching. Uh, he said, don't, uh, don't remove a fence unless you know why it was put there. Right, yeah. yeah. And I Thank thought you. that was yeah. a great perspective you yeah. shared with me um, because there's a lot of fences that we're trying to move that we find out later. Yeah. There was a reason why that fence was put up in the first place. So. Yeah, I actually have a great example of that. Um, we had an arborist come in to our church, and they were identified some dead trees, and we took a dead tree down. It was dead. And I'd, so when they said, this tree's dead, it needs to come down, we took it down. I, I had no idea that that was planted by a widow in honor of her husband. 
and it was there. And, 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 uh, and I hurt somebody unintentionally. And when I found out that that was the historical, that, the, that was the reason why it was planned, I went to her and said, hey, we unintentionally did something. And I explained to her that it had to come down to it was dead. I was like, but would you be willing to, to go with me or go with someone to pick a tree to plant there in its place? And it'll be for the same purpose. Uh, thank you. That's, that's great, though. And, and that's, that's silly almost. But, yeah, you, don't, you want to make sure that you're checking, man. You know, why, why have we never done this in the past? Well, check. Make sure. You know, <laughs> make sure you know why. Does anybody have a question? Yes, sir. Well, I have a comment. I'm 70. We got a new pastor three years ago. But he went to this college. He started teaching us systematic theology and stuff. I'm learning so much stuff at my age. Yeah. And then I try to encourage him. He brought me here last year. He brought me in another older gentleman from our church. But it's like, we're such a good team. And people say how good I am for him. But he's teaching me so much stuff. Sure. And I respect him. And then he respects me. And it's like, we're best friends. And Amen. His wife just had a heart transplant. They had a baby. Wow. But it's like, at my age, I'm thinking, wow, this young guy, he looks 30. He's from, he came from the Philippines. Yeah. He really likes me. Yeah. I really, well, I can say I really love him. Yeah. And, and he's teaching us systematic theology. But some of the things, too, there's some red drapes in our church that, wow. Eventually, he did take them down. And we're like, yay. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just so blown away how how, you know, we're so close. And I was thinking that older gentleman, I learned so much from him today and encouraged that when I get 89 or 79, you know, I can still have an yeah. impact. Yeah. So what I try to do is encourage other people like people did for me. But it's amazing how, I don't know, I, I just, it's amazing with my pastor and stuff. And I would yeah. have never dreamed at this age that I would be hanging out with the pastor really smart but there's a spirit of humility and grace there both of them from from it sounds like from both of them thank you thank you does anybody else have a comment or question don't be shy it's all right I, you know uh, i think dr chapel is the model in so many things mm. okay but from the time that he became pastor of uh, lancaster baptist church uh, he has uh, used and has learned from older men. Yeah. He had Dr. Lee Robertson, he had Dr. Tom Malone, and uh, Dr. Curry said, on, on, on and on, you know. And so, so many times the idea is, uh, if you're over 60, you don't have anything to tell us, okay? And uh, by the same token, uh, a lot of old pastors, and I, I associate with a lot of old pastors, because I am, okay? <laughs> but uh, uh, I've, I've been with some pastors, and they have the idea, once we're off the scene, God is in bad shape, okay? Mm. And that's not true. And uh, when I came to West Coast Baptist College in 2003, after uh, retiring as president and general director of BIMI, uh, you know, my goal after that was one, and that was to be a blessing to young preachers. And so when I came here to teach, uh, I emphasized to the people uh, the fact that I had heard, uh, if you want to stay young, then associate with young people. Mm. And if you want to get old in a hurry, try to keep up with them. And, uh, <laughs> so I told them uh, immediately that uh, I'm not going to try to keep up with you. But one of the things, I mean, when I was president of the University of BMI, 
I cared absolutely nothing for computer. I didn't know how to turn one on or off uh, because we had everybody that did all those things. And I came out here, and lo and behold, every kid I looked at had a computer. <laughs> you know. And I thought, well, I ought to learn a little bit. Uh, so uh, now Mrs. Rasmussen has a class, I think it's uh, 101 something, but uh, it should be bonehead computer. <laughs> but I told her I'm, I'm going to take that course. And, uh, and, and, and I did. I said, now I'm not taking it for a grade. I'm going to audit your course. Because <laughs> it'd be bad for one of the professors to flunk a 101 course. <laughs> and, but, but I learned so much. I sat by a young fella that didn't need that class at all. Uh, but he taught me so much, mm. you know, and uh, <clears throat> I, I learned so much. I, uh, last week I was in uh, uh, Pastor Tyler Gillett's church. Uh, what a great transition, mm. okay? Uh, Dr. Raymond Barber pastored there for 35 years, one of the foremost preachers in America. Yeah. Dr. Willie Weaver preached there, pastored there for some 20 years, and they're both still there. Mm. And... Uh, they, they love Pastor Gillette, and Pastor Gillette loves them. And I, I could give you illustration after illustration. And, uh, but uh, I, I could give you illustration of people that came in and with the, the idea, uh, now we're going to show them what a real pastor is all about. Mm. <laughs> okay. And they, they flunked out in a hurry. Yeah, amen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, uh, what, what we heard today is good. Thank you, Brother Richard. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> this is really a question for any of you. Um, we, uh, Brother and I here, we're, we're deacons at our local church and our pastors in a separate session, but uh, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a very, uh, call it, wealthy area, trendy area. We have mega churches in our area. We're a smaller church, and what we've seen is, interestingly enough, with young people in our church, um, it doesn't seem like doctrine is the hill they choose to die on. It's the standards. And what we've seen a lot of folks is we've seen young people leave out uh, just because of standards. Um, well, it doesn't say in the Bible we have to do this or why do I have to wear it? We've had, you know, years past, but we had a gentleman that left the church because pastor wanted him to wear a tie to teach Sunday school. And not only did he not wear a tie, he left the church over it. And I'm saying you could say, well, you know, good riddance, and that's, that's fine. But I guess what encouragement or admonishment would you have for churches, um, not only in doctrine, but in practice, and, and just trying to find, obviously there's some of these things in some of those gray areas, and, it, and it's every church has their unique culture as well, and, and I think a lot of people are just uh, falling for this Yeah, you deception. can't really be right with God if you don't wear a necktie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are peripheral things, okay, and... Uh, but you have to have the type of pastor that can deal with those things. Uh, you need some suggestions, I'll be glad to talk to you. Yeah, standards are a part of every institution. I mean, you can't play for the Yankees and have facial hair. Absolutely. Yeah, I walked into a golf course one day and it had, uh, in the clubhouse, it said, no denim allowed. I took a picture of it and posted it on social media and I said, you know, man, what a, what a, what a bunch of, uh, you know, they got high standards here, you know, sure, a bunch of legalists. <laughs> But, but, but you said it, though. You said uh, they'll come and say, well, the Bible doesn't say, and they're making an argument from silence to, to remove a line. Um, 
said, you meet, you meet a lot of people say, we don't have any standards. Uh, somebody's nephew could sing in your choir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do have a standard. Yeah, you have some standards. It may not be very high, may not be what I like and so forth, but uh, uh, I, I think we've uh, gone so far that we're going to out-fundamentalism everybody else. And that's a horrible attitude. Their church is not going to go like that. I find my pastor asked us deacons to wear ties and stuff. I don't really like wearing a tie to that hot plate, but I do it out of respect for my pastor. Sure. I think one thing that we've tried to uh, is try to get ahead of it a little bit. Um, so I know like a lot of churches are doing starting point classes and these core classes. And I, we found, at least in our context, it's kind of the same thing. A lot of younger people have different thoughts on what to wear. And so we try to get ahead of that in like a, like a, a little bit of, of like a, a core class ahead of time. Say, hey, you know, we want you to serve here. We'd love to have you serve. And then we'll say in that class, these are some of our, we don't call them standards in that class. We call them leadership requirements, which we learned from Pastor Chapel, Because when people hear leadership, they go, well, I want to I be a leader. So yeah. I want that to, to be a part of it. And so I always tell them, uh, what the illustration we always use is Target. If you're ever going to Target, everyone's wearing the color red. red because they all work at Target. And I try to use that as an illustration. Like, you know, at our church, we have a little I bit. give you a perfect example. <laughs> We were going golfing one day, and I, I picked Dr. Olivet up, okay? <laughs> and he had on jeans. I said, Doc, they're not going to let you wear those jeans on this golf course we're going to. Oh, he said, they'll let me. Anyway, we got out there, and sure enough, they told him, you, you can't wear jeans here. So he had to buy a $50 pair of shorts. <laughs> okay. And... Uh, but every organization has some kind of standards, okay? So standard is not a bad thing, but uh, most churches we know of, they've gone to seed uh, on things of that nature, yeah. okay? You can go to seed on just about anything except soul winning. Mm. You can't go to seed on soul winning. Yeah. Yeah, no. One thing you've shared with me, Pastor Loader, over the years is if you really love the people you want to serve, you're willing to forego your desires for the spiritual good of others. Very nice, yes. And that's something that's you have You know, now, Dr. Steve Chapel, or Pastor Steve Chapel, he had such a great message on developing a culture within your church. Uh, and, and that was absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, everybody should take that back home and, and uh, say, Dick, we, we need to develop the right kind of culture in our church. Yeah. We're, we're going to. We're going to lunch, yeah. We're going to eat lunch. Dr. Sis says it's time to eat lunch. And I'm willing to learn from the older generation. I'm going in and out. Yeah. <laughs> if you do have a question, though, you can come see me. I'll be here for a few minutes.